stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talking with you today about a topic that is on everybody's mind, um, the three women, well, actually three and a half women, in Cleveland who uh, just escaped from a house of horrors where they were held captive by Ariel Castro. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about why did it take a decade for the Cleveland women to escape? This is the question on everybody's mind. Nobody wants to say it out loud. Well, I won't say nobody, but very few people. Everybody wants to bask in the thrill of and happiness of the women being found, which is great. Um, but it seems almost taboo to ask, why did it take so long? Well, my guest today uh, is someone who um, is very well experienced in people who are lost and found. Uh, his name is Troy Dunn. He is the star of the hit series The Locator, which is going to be going to a new uh, network, and this will be announced June 1st, where it will, where it will be located. Um, he and his team have solved more than 40,000 cases of missing people. And um, he is very, uh, very dedicated to this problem, and he's created um, something that will help people in the future with this called Dad Guard, and we will talk about that um, towards the end of the show so you can find out what you need to know to protect your family and how to help other people find their missing loved ones. We'll talk about that. But right now, I want to uh, chew over <laughs> with Troy some of those unasked and unmentionable questions that we're going to mention. Um, and I have my own theories about what actually happened. So, Troy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dr. Carroll. Good to be here. I'm anxious to hear your theory. <laughs> well, um, I just did a uh, an interview with a with an Ohio newspaper um, who told me the reporter told me that um, my theories would not be welcome in o- in Ohio, in Cleveland in particular, where everybody is celebrating, but that um, in fact, you know, they are what it, what he was asking and what others are asking. Um, behind the curtain, and and that is, you know, why it is that it took them a decade. There were three of them. It's it would be different if there was one of them. Um, maybe we should give a little history. Let me just back up a little bit for those people who aren't as familiar with the story as you and I are. I've been devouring the news on it. Um, there were uh, a, a man named Ariel Castro. Uh, who tells cops that he is cold-blooded and describes himself as addicted to sex and unable to control his impulses. Um, he, over the years, gathered three women <laughs> to be his harem. And he started with um, Michelle Knight, who, in 2002, who was 21 years old. And then, in 2003, he um, kidnapped Amanda Berry. She was 16. And in 2004, he kidnapped Gina DeJesus, who was 14. I'm sure you noticed he was going down, <laughs> replacing them with younger and younger versions each time. Um, this is a man, you know, he talks about being addicted to sex. 
obviously this is a man who's not just addicted to sex but needs to be in control because he could have gone to a bar any night of the week and found someone to have sex with, most likely. But he found young women, actually Michelle Knight, who was the older one, um, 21, she um, had psychological problems. And so he knew, he could tell before he asked these women to get into his car uh, that they were vulnerable, that they were good targets. And I'm sure you can talk about that. Um, what, what my my um, my theory about this whole thing is that because it was three women, because after a while they were um, originally they were chained and in the basement and so on, but eventually, and we don't know all the details yet, but eventually they were allowed up to the second floor, and um, and when they were found. Um, the two other women, Amanda Berry was the one who uh, called 911. She got out. She found that the inside, uh, there was an unlocked, what she called the big inside door, and um, the outside door was bolted, and she said she thought it was a test, so she, um, she yelled out instead, and two neighbors, two neighbors came, and then she um, went to another neighbor's house, and she called 911. And when the police came and went into this second floor, the other two women were freely walking around. So we'll get back to all of that. But my point, what I think happened, and I'd love to hear your opinion about this, is two things, a combination of two things. One is the Stockholm Syndrome, where um, people who are held captive uh, become enmeshed with, feel sympathetic towards, or empathic towards, or even fall in love with, their captor. And this happens for a number of reasons. And I think it was a combination of that and sibling rivalry. Here was a man who was a father figure, um, much older than they were, obviously an authority figure. He was in control and power. Um, and so I think what happened was a combination of this Stockholm Syndrome and sibling rivalry, where these three girls were competing unconsciously, perhaps, um, but for the, if not love, then um, special treatment and attention of their captor, Ariel Castro. I'd like to hear your opinion. Mm. <clears throat> now, I, I, I don't know. You might have lost me at the sibling rivalry theory. Uh, the Stockholm Syndrome, I totally believe, is a very strong possibility, only because in my experience uh, in in solving some of these cases in the past, it is very often that if you hold somebody long enough, it becomes their new normal. And it's like people who live in houses that are hoarders. They don't, they didn't move in one day and dump a dump truck load of stuff in their living room. It came in one item at a time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the old concept of boiling a frog. You know, you turn that temperature up slow enough. They never hop out. And yeah. I think that after a while of captivity, it no longer feels to be captivity. But that's really oversimplifying the environment because we're glossing over the fact that, that uh, they're all coming forward with, with stories that corroborate one another, which is there were, there were beatings. Um, very early on, he, he definitely waged a psychological war on these girls by pretending to leave the house, waiting for one of them to try and escape, which he knew they would. Who wouldn't? They're captive. And then grabbing them before they could get out, taking them back in, beating them senseless in front of the other two as a way of saying, you'll never really know when I'm gone or I'm not gone. Um, but, you know, if we're going to back up even further to how they even became victims, mm -hmm. they, the, the challenge then, 10 years ago, uh, was the challenge, is the challenge today, which is familiarity. Uh, while they weren't all close friends uh, of him, Ariel, they certainly had connection in one way or another. A couple of them knew his daughter. Uh, one was allegedly have had family members that were friends. So it really wasn't that weird and strange for him to pull over on the side of the road in daylight and say, hey, can I give you a ride home? That wasn't like some, it wasn't the, the creepy stranger in the movie who says, want some candy, little girl. It wasn't that. It was somebody they knew. Uh, it was just the, in fact, well, one I of the girls. Gina, I thought Gina was the only one who, uh, well, she that, was friends with his daughter. 
You know, I got to be careful because I, I'm worrying that maybe I'm saying some things that I don't know has been sent out there publicly. But uh-huh. well, go but, ahead, keep uh, saying them. <laughs> no, because I know that this show is probably going to be heard by people in Ohio, uh, so I don't want to tip any yeah. investigators' hands here. But uh, the, there is certainly a theory that is being circulated. So I'm going to use words now to protect myself. Um, mm-hmm. There is certainly a theory being circulated that there perhaps were some other connections uh-huh. that made these three individuals less than random. Let me just say it that well, way. Well, they certainly lived close <laughs> enough to each other. His house was within three miles of all these people. Absolutely. And, and, um, and, and, and they were all creatures of habit. And they took the same paths back and forth to the yes. different places that they went, and interactions probably occurred. And... Uh, Anyway, all that being said, uh, a lot of times that that, uh, fight-or-flight syndrome is really not that simple. It really becomes making personal decisions on what would I have to do to survive, to live, to get back home. Now, these were children, 16 and 14, and, of course, 21. Some people think they're adults when they're 21, but looking back now, I realize 21s aren't that smart. (laughs) Um, So... Certainly the, the desire to survive and, and to get through the process and get through the experience, um, you know, you, you, sometimes you've got to go along to get along. Okay. All right. This is good. We're kind of, uh, <laughs> um, we're sort of disagreeing so <laughs> to some level. I mean, obviously on the sibling rivalry part. Um, let me tell you what I meant by that. Um, because I know a lot of people are, are scratching their heads at this point and saying, what is she talking about? Uh, first of all, in a normal house, a normal family, when there are children, um, let's say two two girls uh, around the same age, more or less, um, they they compete. I mean, it's just you know, it is uh, sibling rivalry is a true phenomenon that they compete for, especially for their daddy's love. I mean, both parents love, but their daddy's attention and love and so on, and favors. Um, I'm not saying, you know, I know it would be heresy to say that they wanted his love, but I mean, at least his, for him to be nicer to them or give them special treats. Um, so in a normal family, this is what occurs. And they essentially formed a family. And so he was the father figure. And even if they were having, you know, they did have these beatings and he got them pregnant many times and, you know, he was raping them and all of that, but that still wouldn't have um, that still wouldn't have canceled out the fact that there would be this competition to maybe get the least beatings or to have him stop sooner or, you know, to get treated better in some way. Uh, I get what you're saying. I think I would probably fall into the camp of they were still making decisions based on trying to survive. Yes, if, yes. If, I mean, he, we, we do know for a fact that he used food as a weapon and uh, very often withheld food for types of poor behavior. Uh, we do know that some were allowed to stay upstairs prior to others being, while others were being kept chained up yes. downstairs, and that that was considered a reward for good behavior. So, yeah, to your point, maybe that was all about the sibling rivalry. I personally would rather believe that those three girls became as tight as sisters and that they were constantly looking out for one another's survival well, and yes. probably manipulated him into saying, hey, let her come upstairs, she's fine, and they probably... I don't know about that. Well, well, you know what? We need to take a break. I want to go on with all of this. My guest is Troy Dunn. He's the star of the hit series, The Locator, and uh, credited for solving over 40,000 cases of missing people. And we're going to be back. We're talking about the Cleveland women and their escape and what was going on in their heads and the head of the monster who kept them captive. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune in for an enlightening and thought-provoking program called The Child of Gulag. Our program is hosted by Dr. Yuri C. Feinberg, a political refugee and former citizen of the Soviet Union. Dr. Feinberg will add his unique perspective to issues that affect us today and will show how many of these issues are tied to the past, whether directly or indirectly. We'll also discuss future implications of these issues. The forum is open every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about why did it take a decade for Cleveland women to escape. My guest is Troy Dunn. He's the star of the hit series, The Locator, which is going to be located on a new network. You'll find out June 1st just where. And um, we were... (laughs) We were uh, discussing, arguing, debating why these women (laughs) were still... And and I agree with what what you were saying, Um, I mean, as part of it, I think it's a combination of all these complex factors. I mean, I think, I think it, it is like the bo- boiling a frog that, uh, you know, is another psychological term for that is learned helplessness. That if you try at the beginning to get out of a situation, uh, to survive, to save yourself, and then you run into problems, at some point you give up. But, you know, here, um, one thing is there were the neighbors who discussed, well, one thing that from the beginning that bugged me, <laughs> I'm sorry, but Amanda Berry, her 911 call, you must have listened to it, right? Yep. Okay. Did that strike you as odd? Um, and the fact that she identified herself uh the way she did, is that what you mean? Yes, that she yeah. was on television for the last 10 years. Words to that effect, she was saying, you know, I'm... Yeah, I'm... yeah. well, I think, you know, I, I, it didn't strike me as weird in thinking that, you know, wow, she's already having kind of a vanity attack. I think she probably hoped, which unfortunately is not true, and I know this is going to upset people in Ohio because they're going to push back and go out. I think she imagined in her mind that the world was still looking for them when in fact the world had mostly moved on, with the exception of a few very close friends and family. Uh, And so I think she expected her discovery that everybody knew her name, everybody knew she was missing, and this was breaking news, when in fact it turned out to be breaking news, but the people she was calling, and in fact if somebody had walked up to you and said they just found Amanda Bear, I don't know if that would have meant I would have no idea who they were talking about. So I think she imagined that, uh, yeah, that it was a bigger discovery. Well, yes, but I mean, you know, it it did seem like she was already claiming her 15 minutes of fame. Now, of course, the the 911 operator who, God, you know, she should be fired. I mean, she had no clue who Amanda Berry was, and that's okay because I wouldn't have either. Of course, I'm not a 911 operator in Cleveland, but in any case... um, uh, you know, the thing that, that bothered me about the 911 operator was that she didn't want to hear what Amanda had to say. Maybe she was put off by this vanity, you know, mm. that she would the attitude herself. But in any case, she, she just kept saying, well, tell the police when they get there. They'll get there. Tell the police. She didn't want to hear, she didn't want to move on to the next call or whatever. And that yeah. was kind of disturbing. Didn't yeah. you, didn't you find that disturbing? Uh, I guess not, because I, I, I imagine in my mind that uh, the, the, when we hear a 911 call, we're, we're only hearing the tip of the iceberg and that <clears throat> she's having a conversation with this woman while at the same time dispatching law enforcement and passing facts, hitting that mute button repeatedly so she can transfer information on one line while she's talking to her on the other. Um, oh, you're being too kind because you work with these people. <laughs> well, because... No, but, <laughs> you're right, I do work with a lot of them, but I also... I also know that that uh, it takes a very special person to keep a cool head in the sense of crisis. And, yeah. and, and you know, Amanda was 
relaying without any question, not only in that 911 call, but even with the police officers when they arrived, constantly relaying to them this amazing fear that he was going to come back. And she didn't want the neighbor who had rescued her to, to let anybody see her at there making the phone call. Uh, she was panicked the police wouldn't get there fast enough to rescue the other two girls, which yeah. goes to my sisterhood argument. Well, um, I, <laughs> so I, I think there was a sense was... of urgency that Amanda was relaying through the call, and I think the 911 operator was trying to just handle it like she would handle any other call. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I've well... certainly heard worse 911 calls mishandled. <laughs> The bottom well, line is she took the call, she got police there, they rescued her, so I think the 911 <laughs> operator's off the hook. Well, I don't know. <laughs> not if I have anything to do with it. it well, the in other my thing, universe, what? the people that are not off the hook, uh, and I don't mean this as an attack, but perhaps as an educational moment where we can learn to go forward, the people who are not off the hook is the community around that house. Yes, and, we, and I do want to talk about that. I just want to stay in with the moment for the, the escape moment mm-hmm. for, for a moment. Um, the neighbor said that Amanda was wearing a jumpsuit, a white tank top, rings, and mascara. Now, that is a very different picture than people have of, you know, what these girls were enduring or what their life at this point, at least, was like. Um, you know, they would have thought of them wearing, like, old rags and, and um, rope burns or, you know, I, I mean, so... Yes, was did he give them all these gifts? I mean, I don't, uh, you know, to make them. I mean, he didn't really have to uh, convince them to have sex with him. He was raping them. But I mean, did you heard that right? But but I guess I don't. I think that visual that you have, uh, or that you imagine others having, is the is the way we imagine somebody that's been held for three or four days. I imagined Elizabeth Smart was up in the mountains when she was taken, living in dirt and filth and in a tent because of the details that we were told. But 10 years, I think after 10 years, they probably accumulated stuff. Because he was such a mental game player, he probably did use stuff to soften the damage. I mean, I, you should know, I'm sure you do know better than I do, but oftentimes abusers um, you know, are incredibly bipolar in the fact that they can beat you and pummel you one moment. And in the next moment, I don't know if it's wrestling with their own guilt or some way of rectifying things, they flood them with gifts and apologies and love, and perhaps that's the head game that they lived in for 10 years. Well, perhaps, but it does go to to what I was saying earlier about the Stockholm Syndrome and sibling rivalry. I mean, you know, I think there... And what's so interesting also is that they the the girls have been told to not talk to the media anymore mm-hmm. and i have a feeling that maybe this had to do with the police investigation uncovering some things that like in the house let's say um where maybe it would have been there would have been ways to to call for help i mean the the windows on the second floor were boarded up right yes so why is it that three girls couldn't have found something on the second floor or even just their shoulders and pushed out those boards, just like the two neighbors did when they kicked in. I mean, granted, that was two men, but these are three women who, you know, are now in their uh, 20s. But see, now you're, you're, you're speaking like a logical woman in a normal environment under normal conditions but where you have a clear mascara, head. <laughs> yeah, but they could be mascara because they could be wearing mascara because it turns him on and it requires that. I mean, he could have dressed them he from could, head to toe. He could all, have, you know. yes. I think that my take on it is that they lived in fear most of the time, that they found a way. Listen, if you're going to stay with even an evil person for 10 years, you stick me in a room with a pit bull, I'm going to be scared to death. But give me a few days with him, I'll figure out how to handle him. I'll know not to touch his ears, pet him only when he sees me coming, never get my hand well, near his feet. No, but they, they aren't saying, they don't seem to be saying that he got nicer, you know. Um, uh, I think that there's a lot of information yet to come out. I think that what happened was that they came to expect that death was waiting for them if they made an escape because so many beatings happened. And I think that Amanda finally had a child who she became so in love with that she was willing to risk for her daughter what she was not willing to do for herself, but, uh, which, no, as we know, I, a lot of parents do. But wait a sec. You mean that that's why she finally escaped? I'm saying I mean, that her, I... post, her post-rescue uh, interview said that even in the moment that she was screaming out to that man... Mm-hmm that she expected that Ariel was going to come around the corner and beat her and discover that she really was trying to reach for help. 
But at that moment, she reached a point where she just didn't care. And I just am speculating that my belief is that little girl, because she made sure she had her in her arms as she ran out, that that became the motivation for her to get that girl out of there. I into think a that that place. was part of it, yes. But the girl is six years old. Why didn't she do that sooner? The other thing, I think one of the triggers might have been for why they escaped at this point. Besides, I mean, I agree that she would have felt uh, when she had the little girl that, that she wanted to protect her, if not herself, you know, more than herself. She wanted to get her little girl out of there before he started raping the little girl. Um, but I think also a trigger might have been that his daughter, Ariel's daughter, came to visit them not long before the escape. And going with my sibling rivalry amongst uh, daughters theory, um, I think that the girls, or at least Amanda, may well have been jealous of the fact that he was showing this attention to his to his biological daughter. I mean, I, I, there's no easy answer. I'll give you that. All of these things are, are form a complex uh, com- complex components of of what's going on psychologically. But I'm just saying that, and and you know, they didn't choose to be victims. He. He picked them up, although you know he's blaming them because he said they get got in his car, so he's blaming them for what happened to them, and of course that's outrageous. But and you know, yes, they were having all of these these feelings at once—the helpless frog, you know—and but 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 people just want to see it as black and white that he um, he kidnapped well, them. They were helpless victims for ten years. They couldn't have escaped until this one day, and I don't think that that's right. I will have to respectfully disagree with you. I think that physically there may have been opportunities where they could have made a run for it. Perhaps there were. Listen, at one point he was in jail for two or three days. Okay. He wasn't in that house for three days. Okay. So that could, to your argument, makes it seem even more strange. Like they were home alone for three days and they couldn't have gotten out of that place. That's right. Now, we are discovering that there were locks around different doors from the outsides, but... There's so much we don't know, and unfortunately, we're going to learn it all, but we're going to learn it all through somebody's made-for-TV movie or a book right, deal, which right. I'm sure is being rest, <clears throat> which is probably a, a large motivator behind the statement of don't talk to the media anymore. I'm sure it's <laughs> not just the police that want that to happen. I'm sure it's her attorneys and the producers they're negotiating with who are saying, we're not going to pay that much unless they hold back some of the great details. Yes, yes, I'm sure. Uh, and that is probably the only time you'll hear me be highly skeptical of this situation, is I do think... <laughs> It's now going to turn into, and by the way, God bless them. These girls, after 10 years of that life, if they can make a little money sharing their experience, more power to them. I hope what comes out of it is that we rescue others, because at the end of the day, the bottom line is that there are hundreds of other women right now sitting in basements, attics, and sheds against their will, despite what you think. <laughs> and if they can hear this show, please start trying to escape now. <laughs> Leave right, now. We, we do need to take another break. My guest is Troy Dunn. We're talking about why did it take a decade for Cleveland women to escape. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. <laughs> and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so please stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the Cleveland women, why they didn't escape sooner. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, the... um, man, the, the uh, monster who kidnapped them, Ariel Castro. My guest is Troy Dunn. He's the star of the hit series The Locator, which will be on a new um, hot network, which you will find out about June 1st. Um, Ariel Castro, uh, I think, for those of you who haven't had enough of my uh, <laughs> dramatic theories, um, based upon, I may, I just, actually, I should mention, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, um, I, I do. <laughs> Not only am I a psychiatrist, um, but I also am a forensic psychiatrist and an expert witness. I've been doing that for 20 years, so I do have experience not only in terms of family dynamics and psychological theories and psychoanalytic theory and all of that, but I actually work with, uh, worked on cases where people were kidnapped and worked with interviewed kidnappers and so on. So. Um, so even though you may think this is some of this is far fetched, um, it isn't, or at least it comes from my experience uh, as well. Well, let as me well say I have solved forty thousand, <laughs> many of which were deep people taken against their will, and I will say some of it is not correct. <laughs> I mean, taking these people out of their own forty thousand cases. It's not like competition. I'm just you're, what you're saying though isn't so far fetched. I'm trying to just explain correct. Uh, no, my well, background. That's correct. I know. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Just want to make sure we're not discounting both of our theories here because I will say, as, as you speak from experience of the things you've done through the courts and such, I will say having, having stood at the front door of some of these houses, having sat across the kitchen table from these people as gently as I could, began to reveal to them information they weren't aware of. I just recently told a set of 16-year-old boys uh, 16-year-old boy twins, that they were a product of an abduction. They didn't even know it because mm. they were abducted when they were two and a half and have been completely living a lie. And uh, it was a very difficult moment because they loved their parents. Uh, anybody wow. looking in from the outside would have said, Troy, leave this one alone. These people are all happy. Well, the problem is they're not all happy. There's a mom somewhere who's missing two twin two-year-olds. Oh, wow. And uh, so basically had to have this woman who they've only known as their mother and believed to be their biological mother, had to sit there and urge her politely to tell them that she was, in fact, the nurse on duty at the hospital who walked out the back door with them and never went back. And and then showed them photos of themselves in uh, police reports. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was horrible. That must have been so. The the mother, the the so called mother, and was there a father too? Yep, who also so, played the role of the birth father. She. Yeah. So they so they were arrested. Well, it got it gets really complicated. Uh, it's definitely being investigated, but it wasn't an on the spot arrest like I would have imagined it would have been. Huh. There's some layers there that everybody both sides started throwing in, and and frankly, the the true mother. Um has a heart of gold or, or she's crazy, one or the other, but she refuses to press any charges against them and won't even say anything derogatory so that they can wow. even like file formally because she can say what she's kind of saying. <clears throat> um, perhaps I did ask this nurse to keep an eye on them. I mean, <laughs> she's really messing it up. Oh, wow. But oh, wow. at the end of the day, the twins are home. And so I guess all I'm saying is you just wouldn't believe how many times people, there are people who are being held captive, they don't even know they're being held yes, captive. Yes, yes. Well, you know, and yes, and then, then you know, as you're just um, exemplifying, there are so many complex psychological things that go on at, in these kinds of cases. It, it, it really is hard to tease everything out. 
Now, Ariel Castro, um, I, I think that he may have been um, leading up to or, or had had enough of this already or was, was expecting to come, this to come to an end around the time that it did. Um, we know that in 2004, um, when he was being uh, investigated for having left a child on his school bus, he was a school bus driver, and um, he, they, he, um, the police did, um, did come, did investigate him about that, and and after the escape, now um, a note was discovered in his house, a suicide note, where he blamed the girls for their abductions, saying that they got into the car, and he also said that he wanted to give his money and possessions to them if he was caught. And um, he, they, the police think um, that this was written in 2004. Now, in addition to that, he started taking the daughter, the girl who was born, it's, this is so ironic and sad, she was born on Christmas Day in 2006, the daughter of Amanda Berry. Um, uh, Ariel Castro started taking her out with him, which, of course, is, you know, at the very least, an unconscious desire to get caught. He would tell people that he was, she was, the daughter was, his girlfriend's daughter. And um, she would call him daddy, and he took her, this little girl, to his mother's house, and the girl called the mother a uh, grandmother. And in 2013, I mean, earlier this year, he showed a photo of the little girl to his daughter, his biological daughter, and said that this was his girlfriend's daughter. I mean, he was obviously living this fantasy that this was, that Amanda Berry was his girlfriend. Um, and so, you know, all of these things, um, and, and then recently also he had asked his son, he had a son who had written an essay about the kidnapping um, and he had asked his son recently whether the son thought that Amanda Berry was still alive, and the son said that he thought that she wasn't, and he just said, oh, that's interesting or something. Um, so there seems to be, he seems to have been laying seeds, you know, laying little, throwing out breadcrumbs um, to be found out. And maybe even you could take that further and say maybe even consciously or unconsciously, that's why he left that door, door unlocked on the inside. Yeah. Uh, I would take most of that and agree. I would push back a little bit on the taking the baby thing out because what I actually, in my opinion, what I believe probably was happening to him psychologically, as if it's even possible to read the man, mind of a crazy man. But uh, I think that what began as an overwhelming sexual decision, which was abduct these girls and take them home and use them as playthings, I think over the course of time, in his own twisted way, he began to know them personally, not just as physical objects. And I believe that he probably wrestled internally in a way that you or I will never truly appreciate with the guilt over what he had taken from somebody else and at the same time what he now had. And I think that in his weird way, he was trying to evolve them into some sort of a family. I think the fact that you describe him, you know, that the girls were found with jewelry and makeup and clothes, the fact that they were taken out of the basement and given bedrooms upstairs, the fact that he was starting to go out with the baby, uh, I think in his mind the only way to right the wrong is to live like it's right, and I think he was attempting to play family and play house, and those girls were probably smart enough to play along to whatever degree that meant they got food and it meant they got clothing and it meant that they didn't have to be chained to the basement. Uh, I would say that there's probably very little I wouldn't do to get out of that situation and be treated like a human being and not a, an animal. And um, on the other hand, I could probably make a pretty strong argument that because of the suicide note, he probably was so guilt-ridden. I don't know if he wanted to be caught or he was simply exhausted. Well, I think that, too, that it was exhausting to keep this up for all yes, these years. Yes, yes. Um, I think I don't at some point he wanted to give up and, and say, you know what, yes, let it happen. Yes, yes. But I'm, I, don't know about the, I don't know about the guilt part or the remorse, because, you know, he told the cops he's cold-blooded. He, he, he has said that he was physically abused as a child, and I'm sure he was, um, I'm sure he, he, somebody who does this kind of thing, has been, I would think he was also sexually abused as a child, um, but really horribly so um, physically and sexually abused that he would then grow up to do this. 
Um, Let me stop you right there. When you and your expertise, so in court cases and such, when when somebody who's defending uh, someone says they were sexually abused as a child, is that in your mind as a as a professional? Is that justification for the action? Not not does it mean it good okay, but does it always make sense? Is that is that a foregone conclusion that if you are sexually abused, you are going to sexually abuse? It doesn't always happen. Um, that's why I mean I think that that whatever he suffered, the whatever kind of abuse he suffered as a child, he admits to physical abuse. He might not just be admitting at this point to sexual abuse, but um, because he's you know because that's more embarrassing to admit to for him, probably. Um, but, you know, not everybody who has been sexually abused or even physically abused grows up to perpetuate that. Not everybody does. It depends upon a number of things. You know, the, the child's um, temperament that they're born with, first of all, the nature of the abuse, the rest of what went on during their childhood. It's a lot of different things, whether they get therapy or not growing up, whether they have any support, you know, whether the positive things happen to them besides the abuse. So it's a lot of different things. But, but it does go the other way, that if someone um, has done the kinds of things that Castro did, that he would have been abused in some way as a child. That, that's definite. Well, um, I guess the, the, you know the truth will will eventually come out as they continue to probe into this situation. And he's holding nothing back. I'm sure they're going to get all the information they want from me, unless his attorneys talk him into shutting up. They have had no success at this point in shutting him up. He's admitted guilt. He's admitted the beatings, the abduction, the rape. He's admitting everything. So I, uh, between him and the three girls corroborating the stories, I think there will be very few details that we won't know about their entire 10-year experience before long now. <laughs> Except in the end, when it's on Lifetime. <laughs> right, correct, exactly. <laughs> what, we, what we won't know until somebody shakes uh, that community up a little bit is how in the world these yeah. residents continue to walk past this, because I will tell you again, using my expertise, yes. it's not really possible. Let's talk about that. Well, uh, you know, as I as I will say over and over to people, there are still hundreds more people being held captive in basements all over America right now. And the point of this discussion is not just to, for them, for people to hear this crazy story, but to say, how does this not happen in my community? And if it's happening right now, by the way, I would bet dollars to donuts that there's at least one person right now listening to you and I talk who is living in a community on a road where something just like this is going on right now. That's how many people are being held against their will for one reason or another, adult or child, male or female. And I'll tell you part of the problem. There's a phrase that I would like to wipe off the planet that is going to upset some people when I say this. I would like to never again hear people say, if you see something, say something. <laughs> Because by the time people see something enough that they say something, damage has generally been done. Mm. And I, I believe, and, and you can correct me because you will, this is now your expertise, not mine, so I'm speaking only from my locating experience, but it seems that people only see in others what they can see in themselves. And if you are truly a pure person, it's very difficult to identify evil. It's hard to see it. And in fact, what I believe happens more often than not is when people see something that goes against their belief system, they tend to almost rationalize it. Yes. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you see a couple arguing out loud in front of you, most of the time, good people just go, oh, you know what, every couple has their bad days. Mm -hmm. And the only time we're going to actually say something is when he knocks her teeth out, she right. hits the pavement, and we're like, right. oh, my gosh. Well, by then, damage has been done. What right. I would prefer people do is operate under this philosophy, which is if you sense something, say something. Mm, mm. Because my experience has been, and you're going to hear it now start to come out as these people continue to get interviewed in that community, that while their initial reaction was everybody standing around going, I couldn't believe it. I barbecued right. with them. I played frisbee <laughs> with them. You would have never guessed the right. nicest guy in the world. All right, they said that about Ted Bundy initially, just a plain yes. old quiet guy. Well, the longer people talk, the more they begin to compare notes and start to name off these unusual things yes, yes. that they ignored. 
Right, absolutely. That, you know, there's a man living in this house, and yet we once in a while see him carrying a baby, and everybody ignores that. Right. There's Where no the women in that go? house, right. but they, they saw boxes for feminine products out by the trash cans. Nobody mentioned that. They've never been allowed in his basement. His family members were always told to meet him out on the porch. I mean, come on. Right. How many of those clues can you right. ignore before you engage? And, and what's happening is somebody listening to you and I right now is already ignoring clues in another yes. house in their neighborhood. Absolutely. Well, we need to take a break. We can't ignore that any longer. Um, we are talking about the Cleveland women, their escape, and the fact that this uh, may be happening on a street near you. My guest is Troy Dunn. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join your hosts, Gary Ray and Ted Griffin, Jr., as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Troy Dunn. We're talking about Cleveland, um, trying to get into everybody's head, the three women, uh, who I say had Stockholm Syndrome and sibling rivalry, trying to get daddy's attention and favors. And um, before the break, we were talking about how this might be happening um, on a, on a, in a house near you or on the corner near you. Um, and so why don't you tell us about what people can look for and also about the new product that you're involved with called My Dad Guard. Yes, well... You know, the, all of us have a built-in, and you can give all the te- technical terms for it because I don't know what it is, but we all have some sort of inner voice in us that guides us through our lives, that tells us right from wrong, it's uh, based on things we've been taught, things we know instinctively, etc. And I don't know why sometimes people will see something unusual, sense something unusual, and ignore it, perhaps because we don't have enough faith in our own instincts to share them with other people. And, you know, that concept of, of getting rid of if you see something, say something, is because a lot of people are mostly afraid of saying something. And so here's the thing. If you don't see it, you don't have to say anything. Mm. So people turn to blind eye, and they're like, well, I am no longer obligated to say anything. Right. Cause I, don't, I don't really think that thing I'm seeing over there is that big a deal. Right. Sometimes people just board up their windows. But you have to work really hard. I mean, Carol, you have to work really hard to convince yourself for 10 continuous years right. that there's nothing strange happening at that house across the street. And that's what was going on in that community. And I know that there's somebody listening, they're going to be offended. And my, my attempt is not to offend those folks in Cleveland. My attempt is to shake awake the rest of us in the world who are living in a community where something horrible might be happening right in front of us, but we don't see it. But we've been sensing something's unusual. And rather than going through the details of what you might sense, because they're so different, it simply has to be something that's, that causes you to, to take a beat and go, that's, that's not normal. 
whatever that means to you, that person, the way they're dressed, the things they have, the places they go, the schedule they keep, the, the, the people that come and go, the people that don't come and go, mm-hmm. there's going to be something that's going to say to you, that is not a normal environment. That's not normal to have boards on windows of a house that people live in. Maybe it is for a day or two because you break a window, but not a decade. It isn't normal for a man that lives alone in a house, allegedly, to have the, the boxes of female merchandise out in front of the house for trash. There's things going on. So people have to look for that. My, my hope and my fear, which I want to make sure I've been planted in every mom and dad listening to this, is that before the sun goes down today, another teenage girl will be taken against her will and held captive. That's just statistically a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be yours. And it might be your neighbors, and it might be somebody else in your community. Here where I'm at in South Florida, yesterday it was two girls, 15 and 11, Mm. that were disappeared. Mm. Um, So it happens somewhere every day. And as parents, we have to recognize what can we do to make that not happen anymore. Well, we're finding that some of the worst things that are happening to our kids in America today are all linked back to their digital world that they live in. Teen suicide we're finding out that a lot of these little girls that are taking their lives are doing it because they're being bullied right. online, something that a lot of the parents don't know until after the fact. A lot of uh, these, in fact, 80% of the recent stir- surveys they've done with law enforcement, 80% of these young women who have taken their own lives, before they do it, they do an Internet search to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And the parents don't know that until after the fact. And I, the abductions, I mean, I could go on and on. There's all these things. The majority of the abductions are happening from girls who are having these relationships online with people that they think are friends or it's a, an older man posing as a teenage boy because that's so easy to do now, right? It just takes a photograph and some verbiage. And you can go from 58 years old and a pedophile in Houston to 14 year olds, 14 years old and living in Cleveland. And then you can convince a girl to meet you at the movie theater and then you can fly in and tell her where to meet you and then grab her and you're gone. Right. And they shop for girls like that. Right. And because of the increase in the divorce rate, and so many little girls or teen girls living in homes without fathers, or at least without their biological yeah, father, they are so vulnerable to yeah. a man showing them attention. Um, so you're, you're spot on correct. And the only thing I could come up with to fight this, you know, about a year ago, last summer, it was last summer, uh, I co-hosted The View, and it was an hour special, and we talked about parenting issues, and getting ready for that show, I did all this research so I could speak intelligently, and I was blown away by how many of these tragedies that are happening to our kids are happening first online and then in the real world. Um, Troy, I, I want to interrupt you because I'm, uh, well, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, we're running out of time, and I oh. want to make sure that you have enough time to talk about my dad guard. So let me just, I'll just jump to it. So my wife and I went to a security software company, and we said to them, let's build something that helps parents know this stuff before it happens, not after it. So we built mydadguard.com. It's a simple software that you can install on your family's computer or on your child's cell phone. And then you will know in advance of these things happening. You'll know when she does a search to hurt herself. You'll know when there's a predator stalking her. You'll physically know where she's at. These two girls that were taken yesterday in our community, if they'd had dad guard on that girl's cell phone, they wouldn't have waited 72 hours to find her 1,200 miles away with a predator. They would have found her in five seconds. Hmm. My children, I know when they come and go from school because my phone, their phone tells me. So we built this thing called dad guard. You can get it at mydadguard.com. And it will allow every single parent, and I encourage every parent or grandparent, if you have somebody touching your phone or your computer, put it on there and at least be the parent tonight that sleeps knowing that you will know exactly what's going on in your child's life. And then she won't be the next one taken and held against her will for 10 years. Yes, very good. Again, that's mydadguard.com. Troy, thank you so much. My guest is Troy Dunn. He's the star of the hit series, The Locator. Look for it June 1st. You'll find out what new network it's going to be on. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.